You're listening to Once, episode 264, Strange Case. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And we are happy to discuss this episode, Strange Case. So, Jeremy, what do you think after seeing this episode? Did you agree with my conclusion that best episode of this season so far? Yes, probably best episode in a while. In a while. So, even dipping back into season five. I I was not, we'll put it this way, I was not dripping with criticism really it was it was pretty i i mean i don't think that i'm just adapting because i never seemed to i just didn't have a lot of bad to say about it you know it's got little things but it was pretty well written pretty well constructed and didn't seem like there were any major leaps that didn't make sense Mm mm-hmm And they brought a conclusion to the Jekyll and Hyde storyline much more quickly than I expected they would. Yeah, almost, almost too quickly. It's almost like you get to know the characters better and then they're gone. Yeah. I'm not so sure it's the end of their storyline, but we'll dig into that more as we Mm. go along. Let's start our discussion in the past with just before the ball, we see what looks like London Now, this is fictional London. There are two Londons. There's Victorian fictional London. That's where Alice in Wonderland happens. It is connected to the Enchanted Forest because it is a world with magic. The rabbit can travel there. And that's where Alice was. That's where Dr. Lydgate was. This is not literal London, the London where Balefire ended up previously is that the london where balefire ended up because there was the whole peter pan thing well i was chatting about this yeah with uh, matthew paul jacqueline our forum moderators and they did point out that yes kitsis and horowitz have confirmed that balefire went to literal london not the fictional london and there is even a slight difference if you look at the photos or the screenshots from the episode Second Star to the Right, which was one of the finale episodes from season two. And then you compare that to how London looks inside of this episode. Yeah, it looks very similar. You still get the London looking stuff, but there's this big dome. The London looking stuff. Uh, yeah, the dome stands out. So that's not, that's not actually in London. It's it's fictional London, really. It, I don't like that they have fictional and real locations No, being the same names, but right. this is that Victorian fictional London, which, uh, okay, it, that's fine. Yep, I've already made my case for how it could have worked. But this is the London where Dr. Lydgate was seeing Alice, and it makes a lot of sense for Dr. Lydgate to want this potion from Dr. Jekyll or be not want the potion, but in some small way, be a little bit interested in this potion. Was he interested? Somewhat. He was sort of like, y'all are dangerous. Get out of my face or rather I'll get out of your face, but don't get me in your face again. Really? He just walked out. I think maybe 
his curiosity was piqued. We could put it that way. That because this is the doctor, that what we know of Dr. Lydgate is he was the doctor who saw Alice and wanted to give Alice some kind of special medical treatment that would make her never have these memories of going to Wonderland and thinking that she had once traveled to a world with all of these magical things and that it was all an illusion, a false memory, schizophrenia, whatever you want to call it. He had some kind of treatment. So I could see his mild curiosity with other kinds of treatments that could help with those kinds of cases. Like what if you could separate a person from their memories of a particular style? Yeah, pretty sure he just wanted to shock her. But, you know. I love that it took a little bit of magic from Rumpel in order to get the serum to actually work. Yeah, it means Jekyll is really not that Jekyll-y at all. And by Jekyll-y, <laughs> I mean successful in Jekyll things. Did he really ever do anything that worked? Did he create the one that split him instead of... So, like, there was the the separating, mm-hmm. but he was still one person, sort of. They were the same. They couldn't exist at the same time. Then there was the separation. Did he create that one alone? I I think he did. Well... He is the mastermind behind all of these things, and he did fix Zelina's wand. Okay. So I think he So he's a little Jekyll-y. Yeah, he knows how to get these things going. He just needs a secret ingredient from someone in particular. And in like this case, Rumpel needed to give a little bit of magic to make the science work. And maybe in other cases, he needed something very similar. I did think it was funny how he... He waved his hand at the potion or the elixir or the serum or whatever it is, and it it flashes. And then Jekyll's looking at it like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you did it. But I'm like, it looks the same. Can you see with the naked eye that he did what you couldn't? Or did he just make it flash? It was here that Rumpel first started to get involved with the Jekyll and Hyde storyline. And the whole motivation here is laid out then throughout this episode. And it seems that the reason Rumpel wants this serum is he wants to use it on himself to remove what he feels like are the weak parts of himself. Love is weakness. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what he wants to remove, remove all love from himself. So skipping forward to the end of the past scenes, when it doesn't actually work because Hyde still felt love. Rumpel realized, no, this won't completely remove love from myself, and it won't completely remove this weakness. It merely splits a person in two, basically, and lets one aspect be a little bit stronger than the other. He kind of had his own Jekyll and Hyde moment at that point. He went from laughing to choking. I loved that at the ball, we get the nice explanation of how Hyde got his name. Makes sense. I don't know if that's the way the actual storyline went. Right. But it's clever. I thought it was good. Yeah. It worked much better than the Cinderella naming. And speaking of meanings of names, Jessica Frey pointed out saying, in this episode, the writer said that Hyde was named for what Jekyll hides from the world. I looked up the meaning of Mr. Jekyll and it means I kill. In this episode, the writer said Hyde was named for what Jekyll hides from the world. I looked up the meaning of Mr. Jekyll and it means I kill. This makes it more poignant that Hyde was trying to show that it was Jekyll who was the evil one and that he was the one who actually killed Mary, even accidentally. Nice little find there, I think. 
Jack Gill. <laughs> that is good. What do you think about Mary's easily strickenness with Mr. Hyde? At the ball? At the ball and on the bridge. Well, at the ball, she just seemed perplexed, attracted. Yeah, I'd say there was a little bit of enchantment in her interested, eyes. Interested, because he wasn't, I mean, okay, let's be honest. The eyes <laughs> are terrifying. Like, what has happened to you? You're supposed to have a white part of the eye, not a red part of the eye. But otherwise, to her, he seemed charming, but dangerous, I guess. And she liked that, I guess. I think she was a little too impulsive. Yeah. Well, I think it didn't end well for her, unfortunately. I think there's a lot of impulsiveness going around. Rewatching the whole thing, like there, Jekyll wakes up next to her in bed. Uh, awkward. And the the whole her death thing seemed a bit too forced. That part definitely was forced. And that at least isn't unique to Once Upon a Time. Every time someone has to go struggling and then falling through a glass thing, it's just it's almost impossible to do well. And I wish people would stop trying to write it into shows because it's almost impossible in real life. And yet they try to show it. As though it's logical. I've seen <laughs> I've seen somebody this was for people who watched Alias, it's not really a spoiler. There was a character who died by being thrown through a glass table. What TV show has not had someone who dies being thrown <laughs> through some kind of glass? It happens everywhere. Hey, it's even happened it on Once Upon a Time before. It has, too. but the clock tower is always more believable than that window was. Mostly because the way they were struggling was so odd. But um, this was like a weird mini allegory against promiscuity or something. (laughs) It was like she she knew nothing about Hyde of particular note, the fact that he was actually Dr. Jekyll. Yeah. And I would say that the writing of this episode, very good. Yeah. The direction, that is like directorship of it. Sure. Maybe not quite as good because of odd things like this, but okay, they needed some way to get her thrown out the window. Okay, yeah. So. It was more believable than both of the Charmings being taken out by some flying containers at the dock, to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From all of this, when Hyde runs back to his lab, he could have probably become Jekyll again and told people... It was Hyde who did it and all of this, but he still had to run away from all of this situation. And what Rumpel says later on is that he sent Hyde to the L-O-U-S, the land of untold stories. Oh, gosh. Princess Bride fans, that's for you. (laughs) The Laos. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think we'll get to see any more of Jekyll and Hyde's storyline. Maybe like here and there as it intersects with other storylines from the land of untold stories but i think we're finished here with jekyll and hyde we got to see how they ended up in Mm -hmm. the land of untold stories and we then i guess just assume they somehow rose to power it makes me want to go back and see some of what we've already seen again because it gives a whole new motivation behind why hyde hated jekyll other than just oh he's my pathetic half He had a real reason to hate him. And at first I couldn't figure out why Jekyll took the potion again, the serum, after Mary died. But it was exactly that, to not be caught looking like himself. 
I still don't understand why Hyde was so different from Jekyll, but Evil Queen is pretty much past Regina. Well, Rumpel said that Hyde is the same as Jekyll, but smarter and stronger. Regina has the Evil Queen side, which it seems maybe the same thing will apply there, that Evil Queen is smarter and stronger than Regina is. Mm, maybe. It's interesting. There's a lot of small detail that is hard to pin down or call black and white with that whole thing. So the past flashbacks in this episode were rather short and not all that much to talk about, I think. But you're welcome to continue the conversation by going to the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 264. Let's jump to talking about the present. It starts out with this scene, and it is the first scene in the episode, of Rumpelstiltskin working on a pocket watch. Which I've never thought of him as someone who repairs clocks yeah. or watches. There, and he didn't look like he was very good at it. I, I think there's maybe something more to this. He got so frustrated he cut his hair off. <laughs> there are other clocks on his workbench. Yeah. So I'm thinking that he is trying to do something related to time. Turn back time a little bit, get a second chance to do something over again. I, I know we've seen all kinds of crazy things, but maybe he's thinking, hey, I got my own baby ingredient here that I could use for my own potions. Belle won't mind. So how about if we just, you know, borrow Morpheus and use him to cast this spell or something, and then we can turn back the clock, fix things, and then resume life. That might, something weird like that might explain why he's, as we'll discuss later, being so terrible suddenly. He's not even... It was, it's like he's been trying and trying, and now he's just like, whatever, I do what I want. You need me. So maybe he's not being as careful because he thinks he gets to undo all of it. That could make a lot of sense, yeah, being very reckless with that. Now, in, in this interaction between Hyde, Evil Queen, and Rumpel, they do remind us that Rumpel can't kill Hyde, just like Regina can't kill the Evil Queen. In fact, those alter egos can't be killed at all. Right. But the originals can. Important idea that they set up in this episode. Which they didn't know at this point. Right. But the alter egos can be restrained. They can be harmed. They do experience pain. But they simply can't be killed. Side note, you know what that means. Regina is completely safe going up against Evil Queen. Because... As long as Evil Queen knows this or finds out about this, because if she kills Regina, then she kills herself. Well, that's a very good point. And, and I do think that makes a lot of good sense. It's sort of a stalemate. But then again, the Evil Queen doesn't want to destroy Regina. The Evil Queen wants to see everyone tear yourselves <laughs> apart. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh and I want to know what untold stories does Rumpel not want to play out? I know we'll get them just because that they hinted at it and that's going to be probably the theme of the rest of the season. I hope the stories do have a lot of meaning to the storyline and moving the plot along as well as developing the characters. But as we'll get into a little bit later, I kind of have given up on 
Rumpel's mature development. Yeah, but we'll we'll dig more into that mm-hmm. later. Even though he's he's dug a big enough hole for himself, with lots of worms in it, snakes, cockroaches. Back at Emma's, while Charming and Snow are making breakfast for Emma, they use the phrase twice in this scene alone, back to normal. Oh my gosh, Snow is just hashtag normal. Everything is hashtag normal, back to normal. I loved when Regina and Jekyll walked in and Snow just goes, oh, this can't be good. But then it was sort of like, well, off to school, bye. (laughs) Not dealing with this. Jekyll's face when they were talking about, oh, there's someone that needs to be defeated. Almost, you could, when you go back and rewatch the whole episode and then go back and watch that beginning part, you can almost see maybe a look on his face that almost says, Hyde isn't the one who needs to be defeated. Hmm. You think so? Yeah, Mm. a little bit of it there. I've been trying to figure out how long they've had this planned. Probably this part, quite a while. Yeah. It's it's kind of similar to my theory that Jekyll was the original bad one. But the thing is here, he wasn't like a villain, even though Hyde says, I'm not the villain or I'm not the only <laughs> villain, whatever it is Monster. that Hyde says. But uh, yes, Jekyll made a horrible mistake and he was kind of obsessed with Mary Lydgate there. But I wouldn't say that he was a villain. He made a horrible mistake or a couple horrible mistakes. Yeah. But not a villain. And to see him then all, I'm going to seek my revenge. Yeah. yeah. And she was mine. And like, where did that come from? Yeah. He wasn't acting like that at any other point that we saw. Like, maybe it was just in private. And speaking of in private, Hook is giving (laughs) Bell some privacy on his ship there uh, as he's packing up. And when when he leaves the, the shell for her, I just think... Does no one here think of using their cell phone? <laughs> Maybe he gave up. <laughs> yeah. We've seen him struggle with that. And you know, the hook, I mean, honestly, he probably has a little more trouble than some other people. That's true. That's that's very true. Maybe it he is, tried to pick it up with his hook. It is very difficult to dial with a hook for a hand. <laughs> it's not a, you know, that hook's probably not capacitive. It may be enchanted at some times. It may have killed people, but it's not capacitive. Mm-hmm. When Rumpel trapped Belle inside of the ship and it all being for her protection and, you know, all of that nonsense there. I believe I let out a groan that lasted as long as the spell took to cast. (laughs) Rumpel said, you'll thank me for this. Well, she did get out of that cage, that case that he made for her, and she never did thank him. No, she didn't. Because after all, it was because of that that... Jekyll was able to get in and nearly kill Belle. If he wanted to win her back, he would have cast the spell and said, you can come and go, but please stay here because this is where you're safe. Mm -hmm. Don't trap her. Come on. It's ridiculous. And, of course, the question that we all asked ourselves later, why did he only make it block two people, her and Hyde? Really? Why would he not just for good measure keep everybody else out? This would be a good case for positive blood magic, or maybe it would be negative blood magic, that you can block people of certain blood. Can you do blood magic that's not your own blood? Maybe. I don't know. Well, we saw Pan cast a protection spell around that, that skull island on Neverland, 
and only someone without a shadow could pass through. So that meant only Rumple could pass through. It wasn't blood magic, even though Pan could have shadow magic. cast. <laughs> yeah, he could have cast blood magic. Here, if if Rumple had been smart, he would have cast something that we could have said, oh, it's blood magic. Not even Jekyll can get onto the hook. This is a good case for blood magic. They were being extra nice to me, though. They were like, no squid ink, no blood magic, no burning red rooms, no sleeping curses. Jacqueline said that between the cage and what Rumpel says at the end of this episode, she said, I think Rumpel is headed for a quick, possibly semi-heroic death as the only possible way to redeem him. Yeah, but it better not be like snow queen quick yeah you know what i mean that that was a bit quick yes it was beautiful it was but it was like a one scene 360 right 180 however many degrees one has to turn to become good instead of evil and they could really be setting rumple up to be the villain for the rest of the season if not jafar the oracle jasmine whatever when we'll get to them later on but speaking of jasmine here in Storybrook, she's known as Shirin. And I looked that up. Shirin is a Persian name, which also, by the way, Jasmine is a Persian name. And uh, you can, I have a link to this in the notes over at oncepodcast.com slash 264 if you want to read the Wikipedia entry, which is rather short, but it does say this interesting thing. Long after her death, Shirin became an important heroine of Persian literature as a model of a faithful lover and wife. You know what that tells me? She's a villain here in Once Upon a Time. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I don't think so. Well, Shirin means sweet and Jasmine means flower. Well, good grief. (laughs) That's just, that's a lot. We'll talk more about Shirin, Jasmine, the whole plot with her later on. But with her name meaning sweet flower, you know who are sweet flowers to us? Oh my goodness. (laughs) They are our wonderful sponsors and heroes for this episode and each episode of the podcast. They are for this episode, Lisa Slack and David Newland. Thank you very much for your kind support of the podcast. You are the sweet flower to our podcast. You are the hero to our podcast. You keep the podcast running as well as our 28 other patrons on Patreon. Thank you very much for your kind support of the podcast. If you want to be a hero to the podcast as well, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and you can be your own sweet flower in your own special little way. That's at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. And I will be thanking our other patron heroes by name in our next full discussion episode. And now back to Once Upon a Time. In Jekyll's Garage, I think Doc has become the new Admiral Akbar. It's the queen! <laughs> that, that was also his line from uh, the premiere of Once Upon a Time, the pilot episode. He was there at Snow's wedding, and when the evil queen came in, he said, It's the queen! (laughs) And I'm sure we could go through and maybe make a montage of all the times that he said, It's the queen! All the times that he's given an obvious warning. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that Regina, also in the garage, and may I just say that Jekyll's Garage would be a perfect name for, like a pub in Storybrook if he hadn't turned out to be all murdery and then gotten killed. Well, thankfully, this is actually Dr. Whale's garage. That's true. That is true. 
Dr. Whale's garage, Dr. Frankenstein's garage, either way, I think it needs to be a business. But regardless, I love that as they were talking about Belle, Regina says, it's always out of one prison and into another with her. (laughs) As our friends over at the Welcome to Level 7 podcast would say, they were hanging a lampshade on it. (laughs) Welcome to (laughs) Level7.com. Get your fandom fixed over there for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and a fellow member of Noodle Mix Network. Check them out over at WelcomeToLevel7.com. So, Evil Queen cast a spell on the necklace, a spell that I don't know that we've heard of before, a beckoning spell. I guess it's like the opposite of a locator spell. Which, yeah, since the locator spell works, I don't have a problem with it, but I love that they were kind of like, we don't have to show this working. I don't have any idea how visually this works. So we'll just name it and it's fine. It's basically a tracking spell, but it's sort of like, do you just feel warmer when you're near? How does it work? What what visually tells you where the thing that is beckoning is? Do you just hear it pinging? Is that how it works? Well... What are the mechanics? Beckon means basically to call you to yourself, call someone to yourself. Yes. And so the necklace was probably like calling out to a genie in a way, kind of like the Dark One Dagger works, that it calls out to the person. Yeah. And beckons them back to the dagger. Maybe. When they walked in, Evil Queen said, Chaos is here. They like using that word chaos with Hyde, which I might not have noticed if Heather Ordover had not mentioned that he was, his character in the book was very sort of characterized by chaos. And so is Evil Queen. In fact, both of them kind of have this uh, Christopher Nolan Joker sort of taste to them that they both just want to see the world burned. They both want to create chaos and they both love the chaos. They just want to see everyone tear themselves apart. Which ironically is exactly how they were created. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's why they're so obsessed with seeing people tear themselves apart. Well, evil queen one down one to go. Snow is back to teaching now in the school. and Yeah, if there was a part of the episode that I didn't like, it was everything with that. Oh, really? Yeah. It was the part of the episode where they sort of, maybe they used the serum on this episode and they split (laughs) the good writing of Once Upon a Time from the bad writing and they separated it into two different plot lines. Well, they want us to see people trying to return to normal life in Storybrooke, despite the fact that there's an evil queen running around and a Jekyll and Hyde running around and a weird Rumpel running around. But it was very well established that the classroom was full of children, largely from the land of untold stories and also from Storybrooke. And she says, we're going to jump right in. She states... Her law, not her law, but she states that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction and says, who wants to come up here and solve for X? What? Who? (laughs) Who has actually been through all of their schooling could actually several years out just go up and do that? What about someone who's never been taught mathematics ever at all? What is she doing? I don't understand. 
I don't understand where this lesson came from. How did they separate into grades? How did they not just like, oh, man, there are just so many things with this whole plot that just don't make any sense execution-wise. Well, I think that this whole teaching storyline is to show us two things. One, that Snow is trying to get back to a normal life and people are trying to get back to a normal life despite things still going on. And the other thing is, I wonder if that law of thermodynamics will actually come into play with the episode because they repeated it twice. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. I know. It's just the whole thing. Like, it would have been cool to have them actually address the thing like, hey, these people are from all different worlds. They have all different education levels. Some of them have none at all. We have to go through testing to see who knows what maybe in that world math was taught very differently maybe how do we you know to actually say to actually give the the plot and the characters stories that are sort of intriguing like it like to say hey the traditional grade system in this world doesn't work in storybrook we have to start somewhere else because these children are not babies but and not everybody's at a like a first grade level but some of them are so, I don't know. And what's that Tom Sawyer in the straw hat in the classroom? <laughs> I wondered that, too. <laughs> I got a screenshot of him, even, because I thought, what's a kid doing in a straw hat there in the middle? You know they put these kinds of things in there for us. Like the lady uh, with the A embroidered on her shirt and Jack Spratt and all of these little characters they like to reference that I think basically is their way of saying, you're not going to get this story <laughs> But we wanted you to see this character. Look how much potential we have. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just sort of like, all right, welcome to medical school. Who wants to come up here and do an appendectomy? <laughs> Meanwhile, while some people are trying to return to normal lives, someone else is out smashing a garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that Jekyll should have known by now that Hyde manipulates Jekyll very effectively. But then again, Hyde is supposed to be smarter and stronger. We've seen this happen a couple times before where Jekyll is not aware of what Hyde does when they do their transition back and forth. But Hyde seems to be more conscious of what Jekyll does to some degree. Possibly. I feel more like he remembers who he was slash is or who he came from, but I don't know that he actually knows what Jekyll does when he's kind of not surfaced. Because initially, last year in the finale, we had some some questioning, like Hyde was questioning what Jekyll had been doing. Mm. And also, he it felt to me like he looked out the window when he'd been summoned, not knowing Mary was dead, not knowing what had happened. Yeah, true. Uh, so I think that it's... It's something like maybe their short-term memory doesn't work when they transition back and forth. Mm-hmm. Or they keep their short-term memory when they return to themselves. But the – and I know they're, mm. they're split completely now. But still, Jekyll should know by now that any opportunity Hyde would have had to manipulate the situation he did probably take. Yeah. This was the second time in this episode – that Rumpel said that he would be thanked one day for something. And in this case, 
it was referring to the fact that he was taking this potion, their weapon that could have been used against the evil queen, and he was locking it to be able to use it on Hyde. Yeah, okay, so I don't understand any of this. Aside from the fact that I thought it was funny that Regina wanted to hold on to it, and she's like, you can do your magic from there. And he was kind of like, cool, like, how is that going to stop me? And then he just grabs Jekyll's heart. (laughs) Yeah. but why pour it on the dagger? I didn't understand that at all. Well, Rumple did some kind of other magic there because he did have Jekyll's heart. So with that, and maybe they had to cut it for a special effects budget or something, but um, with holding the heart, having the dagger, the potion being poured or the serum being poured serum. on the dagger, maybe that was instead of just splashing the serum on Hyde, They needed to actually inject him or do something that would be like a killing Mm. blow to him. So why didn't they just poison the tip of an arrow? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe he thought the power of the dagger, blah, blah, whatever. (laughs) I was confused for a little bit the first time because I was like, if you stab someone with the dagger, don't they become the dark one? But uh, no, that would be more like if someone else stabbed Rumpel with it. Right. Yeah, I felt like, at first I thought he was doing something with Jekyll's heart, but I felt like that was actually just leverage. Regina wasn't complying, so he was like, cool, now will you? Mm-hmm. But it does mean that they no longer have a weapon against the evil queen. Because Jekyll isn't around that he could make that serum again anymore. Well, and it didn't even work. So, well, no, it was a fake. Right. So we don't know whether it would have worked or not. Unless they go back to that rock and like try and extract it from the rock, which... Let's just not go there. How did Hyde make a fake that was not only the right color and proportion, but also sort of magicked onto the dagger in a way that neither Regina nor uh, Rumpelstiltskin could detect was a fake? uh, Except the um, serum's not exactly magic, so maybe that's just not their forte. Your question's (laughs) (laughs) We're not supposed to think about that. Oh, darn it. (laughs) (laughs) But back at the teaching storyline, while Snow White is there being a little Oprah, you get an F, and you get an F, and you get an F. Or to continue my analogy, I can't believe they killed that patient. Why didn't they know how to do that surgery on their first day at school? We get to hear a little bit more about Jasmine's storyline. Many years ago, the kingdom I come from came under attack by a powerful menace. The only one in any position who could save us was the princess. But she never fully embraced who she was. What a hero she could be. And as a result, our kingdom was lost. Spoilers! So note here. Two people are referenced, but not named. One of them being Dennis the Menace. Three proper nouns referenced, but not named. The kingdom she came from, which we know is probably Agrabah. The princess, which... Well, at the end of the episode, the Oracle calls her Princess Jasmine. Yes. And the second person is that that threat. Who was that threat? That was not named. That they're being so Probably Jafar, though, right? Yeah, probably. But what if Jasmine isn't a hero? What if she didn't simply try to escape being a hero, but what if... The whole embracing who she should have been thing is 
a darkness sort of thing. And she was deceived to think she needs to embrace the darkness in order to save her land from Aladdin. Maybe she looks at Aladdin as the villain. Interesting. That could be. I could see that being a thing. For whatever case, she's definitely the princess. Yeah. I I think that's pretty conclusive. She's the princess she's talking about. And she escaped to the land of untold stories. She said she escaped to the land of untold stories. So she didn't know what happened to her land. Well, yeah, she's the princess too that escaped. Yeah. Back on Hook's ship, when Jekyll comes to visit, again, why couldn't they have used blood magic to block even Jekyll out? Yeah. You'd think that he'd make Hook leave and not come back also, just yeah, because true. he's jealous and stuff. Or, <laughs> or he could have used blood magic to say, only anyone related to us by blood can come into this ship. No one else can. In fact, only I can. No one else. They could have even made a weird little thing that's like, even though you and I aren't blood, the baby will get you through the barrier <laughs> because blood magic and because babies. Yeah. And because exactly. fake Morpheus. And then the Charmings. No, they're not. No, I think blood magic is complicated and weird and only works for Regina. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of the Charmings, while Emma and David are out walking and then Hyde finds them. Something Hyde says here reminds me of the movie The Shining, which I have not watched. I don't recommend it. My goodness. But the line, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. (laughs) Some things very similar were said, which was probably a reference to that. Probably. What did you think of the twist of Hyde getting the dagger? I thought it was good. I thought, again, I didn't totally see it coming. I felt that it was a little preventable. Because Rumpel should be a little quicker to defend that dagger, but it was it was a nice twist, and it played to things that have been established from basically the beginning, rather than some new type of spell or some new type of stipulation. He can control, you know, the second he is holding on to the dagger, we know he can now control Rumpel. Yeah, because that's been long established. That's the kind of thing I like. Yeah, no one had to pull that out of thin air and just say, oh, well, some flying version of mermaids were able to get special feathers from the geese that bring babies in this other land you've never heard of, and those feathers enable me to control whoever I want, but only once in my lifetime. You know, nothing like that happened. It was just something that we know. Don't give them any ideas, though. (laughs) Established mechanics. I like it. And speaking of established mechanics, anytime (laughs) a guy starts talking about his girl as belonging to him, or anytime anyone starts talking about someone else as belonging to them, Mm -hmm. it's probably not a good thing. Now, the other way around. Especially an established mechanic. (laughs) The other way around is totally okay. You know, if someone says... I'm yours. I mean, that's, you know, that's a nice romantic thing. You know, Valentine's Day cards say things like, uh, you know, I'm yours forever and always. And, you know, that's a very pretty thing. <laughs> what can you imagine? So the, so the Valentine cards that Rumple would give would say, you're mine forever and always. <laughs> well, and also Jekyll would want to give to Mary. <laughs> and and Rumple's card, while we're on this tangent, Rumple's card would say something like, you're mine forever and always to put in a box, just like all of my other belongings. <laughs> 
I will keep you safe and completely inaccessible from the outside world. Yes. Uh, hashtag shell shoulder, though, took over. <laughs> uh, wow. I was happy that she was pretty perceptive, by the way, to prepare for shell shoulder. Yeah. I mean, she could have been a little faster, maybe a little more subtle. I guess he was pretty perceptive, too, though, because she, she kept up a pretty good act. She was just kind of like, yours, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Given her experience, she's probably the only character there who would immediately get such red flags from that. It's kind of like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yep. During this little battle that ensues, when Jekyll is killed or in the process of being killed, Hyde said something about how the story isn't finished yet. There's one more thing to do. What I think he was about to do is command Rumple to kill Bell. Because he was holding up the dagger and he said one more thing to do. Well, what would that one more thing be? I don't know, but that's what I loved about this scene. Even though I had already predicted that their lives were linked and that since Jekyll was dying, Hyde would probably be dying shortly. It was like anti-foreshadowing. And that is... A thing that's a quality that I find very appealing in well-written shows. It's like there was something, there was an anticipation of what he was about to say and what he was about to do, and it was just cut short. That's way more natural than building up to his big moment of death. It was like he certainly didn't expect it. Even his sentence didn't expect that he was about to die. So we, even though I did expect it, in that moment I almost didn't expect it. Because mm-hmm. it was starting to feel like it wasn't going to happen, and he was—he still had a plan that was going on, and then he was dead. It was very well done, I thought. Yeah, but they're setting this up for us to think killing the original is the only way to kill the evil side as well. So killing Regina is the only way to get rid of the evil queen, and and Regina even says, "I have to die." I don't think that's the only conclusion that can be taken. Of course, that's the obvious conclusion. That's the conclusion they want us to be thinking about is yeah. that this that Regina's going to die. The only way to defeat the evil queen is for Regina to die. There's no other way. Well, I think there are plenty of other ways to defeat the evil queen. They hadn't found a way. And again, we don't know if the serum would have worked right. because he never really got to try it. But they probably can't remake it. Although Dr. Whale did work See, with Dr. Jekyll. Yeah, he worked in his own lab. He worked with Jekyll. I think that's where we're going next is that he's going to at least try right. to do something because of what he learned in that working together. And we don't even know what that serum actually was supposed to do. It seemed like it was supposed to kill Hyde. But what if the serum was supposed to reverse the effects of the original serum and then rejoin them together? Interesting. What I, what I think is both interesting and potentially problematic is that they can kill Evil Queen without reintegrating them, but Regina is still Regina. I think I actually am fine with that. I like it because she can still... It means that she hasn't had... It wasn't the easy way out she thought it was. She still has to, she's maybe had a boost. She's had that darkness kind of removed, but she still has the capacity for it. So she still has to battle 
all those old impulses, they're just maybe not so unbearable as they were. And they said that in this episode, that she still has the capacity for evil. I'm glad they went ahead and established that. And I'm yeah. glad that that's kind of consistent with how it's been written because we've been observing, well, that sounded like the old Regina or why maybe – I don't know that we saw it in Jekyll, but we saw stuff certainly in Regina that was like – that doesn't seem very separated. Mm-hmm. And – from our forums, Science versus Magic said, It strikes me as completely bizarre that not one of these characters has thought of the idea of reintegrating Regina's dark side. They need to head over to Storybrooke Library and check out some books on psychology. But seriously, Snow's always going on about being who you really are. And we went through a whole arc where Emma learned to accept the magical part of herself. You'd think they'd be able to extrapolate these lessons to Regina's dark side. Well, yeah, I think so too. And I think that's the direction they're going to go, is that it won't be that Regina needs to die. It's she needs to reintegrate the evil queen into her, Mm. and she will learn to move on. Maybe. That could be. Jacqueline pointed out something nice in the basic summary, is that they are both. (laughs) Jacqueline said, The issue comes with the notion that because Jekyll is the original, he is more real than his inner, quote, beast, unquote. This reigns as wholly antithetical to what the show has been setting up, if not just this season, than all series long. You cannot escape who you are. You are both proper and not. You are strong and weak. You are potent and impotent. Jekyll isn't the original anything. He's the face presented to the world because his world and its views dictate that a man must be a certain thing. You cannot be both, even though we have ample evidence that men in this world are. Hence, the little tangent about Dr. Lydgate and the pretty, pretty assistant. Men and women are both, and not saying both genders, but both, <laughs> both uh, uh, like real and alternate thing Uh, she continues here neither is original neither is more real and neither has claim to being over the other so when in storybrook jekyll is impaled and hyde also dies as a result it's hard not to feel like the show is missing its own themes in favor of drumming up some manufactured drama and tension for the much beloved mayor regina mills in order to kill the evil queen regina must die but Like with Jekyll and Hyde, that fails to take into consideration the fact that Regina is the evil queen, will always be the evil queen, and she, the person she is now, does not have primacy on identity. This is doubly true when you consider that the Regina we know now isn't even really, quote, original Regina, unquote, who was a stable princess, scared of her mother, a passive agent under a tyrant who simply wanted to be free. The Regina we see now, the one claiming she has to die, has been through a lifetime's worth of heartache, drama, and conflict, most of which has happened as her tenure as the evil queen. Sticking with Regina, she's a multifaceted, multi-personality person. She is a mother and a queen and a stepmother and a witch and a mayor and a daughter and a sister. Regina is all these things and neither of them take the lead over the other. For example, if Henry were in danger and Regina had to use magic to save him, is that her mother's side or her witch's side? Or is she both while being all the other aspects in my list? Great point, Jacqueline. It is basically we are both, I think, that we need to remember with Regina. And 
And that's what I think this will ultimately come down to. Yeah, I I think I think I I agree or I mostly agree. I'm always hesitant to say that the things that are actually identifiable as the darkness or as the evil while they may be there and it may be important to not think of success as something unattainable such as pulling it all out of oneself to say that they that they belong that they are necessary that they're good that they should be embraced is not where i prefer to see it go because that just seems morally damaging in some way and i'm not so sure and actually i would go so far as to say i don't think that's what jacqueline is saying here and i don't think that that's necessarily where the show is going but in the direction of think of it this way there are but it's all part of her history yeah part of her history there are parts of my history that i oh i wish i could do over or or not do over i wish i could remove (laughs) parts of my life uh, parts of my history, certain things I've been through, darknesses I've experienced, there are plenty of regrets I have. And I think mm-hmm. that uh, probably everyone will have some regrets at some point. There are plenty of things I wish I could remove, but I don't embrace those things. Mm-hmm. Those things are not part of me today, but they did help shape me to who I am today. The life I live today, the decisions I've made, the lessons I've learned. I mean, it's like, well, if you touch a burning stove, you get burned. Yeah. Would you say, oh, man, I wish I never got burned? Well, you might not never know, don't touch the hot stove if you didn't get burned. You'd always be hearing it on faith. And I'm not saying everyone has to touch a hot stove in order to believe (laughs) that they'll get burned. How do you know that's true? (laughs) (laughs) But... With Regina here, I think it's it's not that she needs to embrace the darkness. I think that it is she needs to embrace her entire being, not mm. looking at it as I can remove this bad part of me right. and continue. But it's, okay, I had a bad part of me. I have grown. I've learned. I've learned it's not good to kill an entire village anymore. I don't yeah. do those things anymore because I have learned from that. She so, doesn't rip out Hook's throat because now she knows that's wrong. She is she is now a different person because of all of those things, as a result of all of those things. Yes, horrible things that were in her past, but you completely remove those things and it removes what made her what she is. Yeah, it would be great if those things never happened, but I think what it's going to come to is that we'll realize – she needs to have kept those things to be a whole person, not embrace her faults, embrace her darkness. Yeah. It could go that way, but I think they've set it up so they can do it either way. Yeah. Because the capacity's still there. Clearly, she remembers. Clearly, she can reference those things when she needs to, like when she had to stop and think about how to tear apart a family rather than having it come naturally. She still got there (laughs) when she needed to, you know, I, you know, they can do either way. They could do the reintegration idea or they could just kill evil queen, but it doesn't change who Regina is. Now, Rumpel, though. Before we go on to Rumpel. Okay. I, what, what would an episode be if I didn't come up with some kind of a quibble? And I need, (laughs) I need to, I need to. Killian (laughs) killed Jekyll. Yeah. Oh, I think I know where you're going. And so no one's going to gasp and, and, and say, oh, 
you had no choice. No, but now darkness has started in my heart. <laughs> why is it? Why is it that? And this is this is kind of just me being ridiculous, but it seems like when the heroines of the story kill someone, it's a big moral upheaval and there's darkness. But the men who maybe don't matter as much can kill all day and they just they don't say anything. Charming took down. He just ran a guy through because he tried to kill Regina in Camelot. There was a room full of people that could have restrained that guy. And nobody said a word. Nobody batted an eye. And then here, people, nobody even reassured Hook, no, you had no choice. It was just done. Hmm. And, and like, like, I kind of feel like almost that's how it should be. And yet one could argue that Hook could have pretty easily overpowered Jekyll rather than killing him. Yeah. But he didn't. Well, I don't think this was an intentional killing him. It seemed like kind of an accident. Like he kicked him and he just... Fell back into the spear or the harpoon. Yeah. I guess. And we've seen (laughs) that happen with other characters too. When David accidentally threw James into the water and when Belle pushed Gaston into the water. I can take the the sexist part out of that. (laughs) (laughs) But but still, I, I think that... It's a lot more palatable without the whining over self-defense killings. Yeah. However, let's be a little consistent. I think we can all agree we'd like to have them not worry about darkness in their heart when they were acting nobly. But anyway, that's my (laughs) quibble corner, as Doxon is calling it in the chat room for the week. But hey, it it was very small this week. Well, from one little quibble corner to a big quibble canyon. <laughs> yes. Rumple. Yes. yes. Oh, oh, I just want to like wash my eyeballs after hearing and seeing how how gross he is to Bell with this. I mean, okay, so what he wanted originally with that serum was to remove the love from himself. He's not looking for the serum this time to do that. After all, he saw that the serum didn't work. But when, in answer to the question that Bell asks, what could possibly be worth all this death and destruction? He says, you. Now, I, I get that there are times when, you know, they're out of self-defense uh-huh. or something that there might be times where you have to take someone's life in order to save someone else. Our soldiers do that. And the soldiers for your country do that on maybe even a daily basis, having to take someone else's life to protect yours. Okay? That's one thing. That's more defense. Rumple is doing murder and aggression and all kinds of crimes. And like in initial reactions, I equated him to the mob boss or the mafia boss. He's doing all of this stuff And he's saying, oh, it's for you. It's like, see this uh, pile of corpses here of all of these people (laughs) that I mercilessly slaughtered? Well, it's for you because I love you. And we're going to need a new maid. (laughs) And a new rug. (laughs) Uh, Rumpel, I mean, Rumpel here, think of all of the villains that we've had on this show. Uh, Some of the worst ones, like that we're the craziest and did the most horrible Things, inhumane things to people. I thought of Zelina, Pirate Hook, mm-hmm. uh, Cruella, Cora, 
some other characters here and there as well. I think Rumpel is being worse than all of them because he's not simply misguided here. He is doing all the wrong things mm-hmm. out of selfishness to get one person to love him in the way he wants to be loved and he's completely unwilling to change. And he just stands in her face and just tells her he threatens her. Basically, yeah. he makes her he tries to make her afraid by saying that essentially their child will always be in danger. He says that she needs him. It's like full-blown dependence, which isn't love. Not like that. He says she de- she's going to need him and that will make necessity will make her love him. Yeah, no. Necessity never makes someone love someone else. No. Oh, it was it, it it was chilling listening to him and my concern as uncomfortable as it is, it is good character development if mm-hmm. this is the direction they are actually solidly going to commit to and go. Yes. If they're going to have him come back and go, "Oh, I'm sorry." Which, okay, that can be done right, too. But if they're going to have him start to just kind of learn and and his character's redeemed again, but then he kind of goes back to it. Like, I don't want all that waffly, wishy-washy stuff. At one point, Bell said, I always see you for who you are. And what I thought in that moment was, well, no, you don't. You always see the man under the beast. You always see the good in people. But... That makes me think that he has changed. Maybe she does always see who he really is. When he was sort of more in the beast role, traditional story-wise, he let her go. He wasn't holding on to her like a possession. He sort of didn't necessarily expect to see her again when he let her leave the castle. He let her return to him. And that's far more of a sign of real love. So he's changed into this thing that just wants to own her and possess her, and doesn't love her. So now he is the beast. Yeah. And... She sees the beast under the man. As much as I would love to see him redeemed, I feel like he's beyond that point Mm -hmm. of return. He, He, like, if they try, they have to be very, very careful how they do it. Yeah. Like, he has to, I don't know, (laughs) <laughs> it would be very difficult. There would have to be circumstances that would make it believable to us that he would have actually, truly, deeply learned the lesson. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they could do. And, you know, if they want to just have a real villain that remains a villain, go for it. Like, yeah, defe- he can be defeated later, but that's real character development, whichever way it goes. Etheria said, I don't think we've ever seen outright hatred from either Bell or Rumpel directed at the other. Bell's been frustrated and disappointed with him, and Rumpel has lashed out in frustration over his own confused feelings. But even though I felt for a while that the relationship is past the point where it could work, it's always seemed that they had genuine affection and concern for each other's well-being. That confrontation on the dock was the first time they've seemed like enemies rather than tragic lovers. Especially, this is me talking now. Thank you very much for that feedback, Katheria. Especially when you see Rumpel say that that harsh, bitter thing. And then he takes a few steps away and he's like, I am done. And he walks away and he stops and then he turns around and, no, here's a little bit more poison for you. 
that's it's yeah hate is what it looks like is coming out now i wouldn't necessarily say bell is expressing hate in return i mean they both she's just standing her ground she's learned the hard way over and over again because it has been one prison after another and they've mostly been his yeah claudio said I, as well as so many fans, are sick and tired of this continuous back and forth with the darkness. Like Jeremy said in Swanson podcast, that was episode 225 of our podcast, Mm. that the Dark One arc should have just ended after that. No need for more Dark Ones or for them to go back to that. It feels like repetitive, lazy writing. Bobby Carlyle is a fantastic actor and deserves so much better than what he's been given these past few seasons. I feel like Jacqueline's theory will turn out to be true and Rumpel will end up dying, sacrificing himself for Belle and little Morphetus, who I suspect will be named Adam, which was the Beast's real name and might also be Mr. Gold's storybook name. What? Yeah. I didn't know the Beast from Beauty and the Beast was named Adam. I didn't either. That could be really interesting to name the baby Adam. Among all of the things that even the meaning of the name Adam and the biblical history of the name Adam would be really interesting. Now, here on the kind of flip side of things, I wanted to share this. This is from AKA, posted this in our forums, saying this is probably going to be the unpopular view, but I'm going to defend Rumpel here. Should he have locked her on the boat and taken away her free will? Nope. But he also knows Belle pretty well. She is impulsive, naive, and has a major hero complex issue. So I can understand why he did it. We like to say that Belle has not just herself to think about now, but so does Rumpel. That is his unborn child she is carrying. And he was doing what he thought was best to protect Belle and the baby from Hyde. Hyde and Evil Queen told him directly that they were going after Belle. So Rumpel did what he thought would protect both of them. Uh, he he did it with a harshness that yeah. betrays the heart that he showed at the end. Yes. He he even he even had that tone when he turned around and said you'll thank me. It wasn't bell I'm sorry please try to understand why I'm doing this. It was just no. We do things my way. You are mine. I'm locking you in the safe. End of story plus Belle may be some of those things. I don't know if she's naive. I think she seems that way sometimes. I don't know if she really is. And I can't think of a time, and I might just be not remembering, but I can't think of a time when she's gotten herself or others in harm's way because of doing something naive or impulsive. She's rescued people. She's kind of saved the day in one way or another many times. She's not really a fighter, but she can here and there. She rescued Philip from... Being whatever that was. was. Yes, thank you. (laughs) And I don't think that AKA here is necessarily defending Rumpel and everything he did, but more pointing out that, hey, he's trying to protect his wife and his baby. Devil's advocate. Yeah, okay. Maybe a little more. I can understand that, but I think. Closer to the accurate name than (laughs) maybe in the past when Rumpel has been defended, but. (laughs) One of those words could probably be dropped. (laughs) last thing to discuss here jasmine and the oracle so something is going on here behind the scenes i think we need another villain now for once upon a time now that 
uh, Jekyll and Hyde are out of the picture. I thought it would take weeks and weeks of battles and <laughs> twists and turns, and there you go doing it, day one. <laughs> Maybe not quite day one, but very close. Yeah. It's true. Episode four, once he was taken away, I thought, well, he'll get out. Like, what's... He's not defeated. This is silly. He'll be around probably the whole season. And this this stuff with Jasmine and the Oracle, it's not set up that makes me go, oh, no, is that where they're going? I'm actually interested. And I actually don't feel like I see the whole thing unfolded before me already. Yeah. It's yeah. good. There's some mystery to the season again. And the only thing I know about the season, and this is more of an encouragement I wouldn't call this a spoiler because it doesn't reveal any plot things. Uh, Kitsis and Horowitz have expressed that this season will be closer to season one in the sense of a continuing story arc across the entire season. Not this half season story arc kind of thing that wraps up nicely before Christmas and then a completely different story arc or not completely different, but a a, a different story arc than after Christmas. Uh, but what we'll see, I, I know we'll get miniature story arcs along the way because that's just the nature of storytelling. You get smaller story arcs here and there. Yeah. And this is one of those smaller story arcs, Jekyll and Hyde. But now what's the continuing story arc here? It could be Rumple as the big bad villain. It could be. How many years have we said that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and, and he, along that line, with Rumple's being set up and everything, I'm even wondering, is he the hooded character battling against Emma. Could be. We've talked about that before in the past, but... Because like he, I said, it's a it's a dark one cloak. It yeah. just is. Yeah. And he is the dark one of all dark ones. He has all the combined power of the dark ones, whereas Emma is still a dark one, but she's only one dark one, and she's not controlled by the dagger, interestingly enough. Only Rumple is. And the other thing to consider is maybe that battle that we see between Emma and a hooded character is... yes i'm gonna say it the final battle and that's the battle that rumple foresaw back in season one is that the final battle would be between emma and the dark one Mm. or the dark the whole not just the dark one as in a person but the entire dark one being like emma would completely defeat the darkness like we thought happened in season four yeah but nope not for that vial of magic. <laughs> Dag on it. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, Jasmine and Oracle, though. Yes. So that with this Oracle, whole though. story arc going on with Rumple in some way, do you think Jasmine is one of the good guys or one of the bad yes, guys? Good. Good. So she seemed very genuine, even though she feels that it's necessary to conceal her identity. Yes. She didn't... And this might just be character not being overly obvious but she didn't say it like they have no idea she just was like yeah no they don't know who i am at all and i i feel that they think that that is a necessity not because they have some evil plan they're trying to find aladdin but maybe there's something about if people know that she is jasmine that someone else who is probably also in town would come after her or who knows maybe something happened and Aladdin would actually run hmm. or something so and and the oracle 
I can't decide if Jasmine met her and sort of employed her in a sense, or if they have a common goal but separate plans, or if they're friends. Because it seemed Jasmine asked about the Oracle's mission, but that mission seemed to be finding Aladdin. Mission. Strange word to use, by the way. Yeah. So maybe they're still trying to save the kingdom. Hmm. And the Oracle, didn't she say something like, I won't leave your side until we find him? Yeah. Yeah, so they seem, even though the Oracle comes off as very, hmm, what would I say, mechanical, emotionless, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know if there's a purpose to that or not, but maybe they are friends. And and that phrase, I won't leave your side, Mm -hmm. now that can imply a deep friendship, a good trust, you know, I am with this, I, I am with you on this. I won't leave your side until we see this through together. I'm here with you, buddy. (laughs) There's that aspect. The other aspect is... My buddy, the Oracle. (laughs) I won't leave your side because I have some kind of ulterior motive here and I want to make sure that I am there for everything and I will stop this. It felt um, reassuring to me. Yeah, I didn't get any... Even though they met at the well, I didn't get any creepy nefariousness from them well here's an idea chelsea sent this in saying i'm not sure about jasmine being a villain though maybe i'm just biased but what if jafar disguised as the oracle has tricked her into helping him find aladdin by promising to help them in some way possibly to escape aladdin's fate in his untold story this would be similar to how Jafar disguised himself and tricked Aladdin into helping him retrieve the lamp from the Cave of Wonders in the original Disney film. Hmm. I am completely on board with the idea that the Oracle is actually Jafar. Even yeah. with how we see the Oracle appear in this scene, we don't see the Oracle first. You know what we see first? The staff with the, uh, the head of the bird there. Yeah. We see that appear first. And then the Oracle steps in. It's kind of like, <gasps> Jafar! Oh, no, it's only the Oracle. <laughs> but no, it's actually Jafar. <laughs> and that would, that, ooh, yeah. I think the scene does have little notes that if we find that out later, we rewatch it, we'll see that it was totally there. Because like I said, the Oracle doesn't, she's saying the words of friendship, but she doesn't seem overly friendly. Mm-hmm. And she seems very concerned that people not know who Jasmine is, but Jasmine's all like, no, they have no idea. Everything's good. I came at dark. She's like, where have you been? And he's like, I had to wait until after dark. It's, I was being careful. Blah, blah, blah. I had to wait till it was safe. So she just seems really innocent and good, but I don't really feel like I want to trust the Oracle. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree with Chelsea that Jasmine is being tricked. And I think Jafar, the Oracle are the same person and will be the villain. Oracle. <laughs> or Orafal. Orafal. We'll let you as the <laughs> listener decide what the, the proper name would be. Yeah, Birdstick. <laughs> I don't remember now who it was that sent in this feedback because I, I didn't copy it to my notes, but someone had suggested that one possible thing that happened is back when Jafar came and talked to aladdin there and had that whole little speech about saviors and stuff that what happened after that scene was cut in the pilot was then jafar looks over at the oracle and says something like hmm i think you could be useful 
And then he assimilates the oracle into his staff, changes the shape and style of the staff, and then shape shifts over to the oracle. I think that may have been Philip who sent in that feedback. Yeah, so timeline-wise, the flashback with Aladdin would have possibly no... We have no idea. My goodness. Good luck, yeah, so, so Yeah, so Wonderland actually makes the Jafar theories problematic, yes? It does. Because Wonderland, according to Once Upon a Time canon, and they are still saying that Once Upon a Time in Wonderland is canon, mm-hmm. the Wonderland storyline seems to start in season two of Once Upon a Time because that's uh, the curse was already broken. Yes. Basing this on the pilot episode of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Curse is already broken. Stuff seems to be happening that's very season two kind of oriented. There was a cut originally where the opening scene of Wonderland was supposed to be taking place at the same time as the Wraith attack. Right. They kind of removed that, possibly for timeline reasons, but more likely because if you're only watching Wonderland... It was like, why trouble people with things they won't ever understand if they don't watch Once Upon a Time proper? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that timing is good. And then, of course, there are some things about Jafar's story that don't necessarily line up with this theory. But I'm sure they can work that out. They've they've done worse with (laughs) the Wonderland plot. Yeah, and we don't know that flashback in relation to everything that happens in Wonderland. Is it before or after the the primary events, the primary storyline of Wonderland? Because I and I kind of feel like I don't want to spoil the end of Wonderland. Yeah, but I'll I'll say this basically is that at the end of Wonderland, Jafar isn't gone. Correct. So, is what we see in that flashback. Jafar after the end of Wonderland or is it before the primary events of Wonderland and then now though today if the Oracle is Jafar this would be after Wonderland completely yeah so I I feel like the initial flashback has to be before Wonderland but obviously we're after Wonderland now what if the casting of someone else to play Jafar was intentional though in that maybe this guy is some kind of a shapeshifter or an impersonator, although I guess he's not doing a very good job if he doesn't look like Jafar, but he's saying he's Jafar. Yeah. So that's probably a bad and crackpot theory. Naveen Andrews simply wasn't available to reprise his role as Jafar. So they had to get someone else. And like I've said before, I think the guy they got is a great pick. All 10 seconds we saw. Yeah. And, no, I'd need the jury's out on that for me, but well, and I kind of feel like with as good of an actor that they got, as good of a fit of someone that they got, he looks like for the that Disney role. Jafar. Yeah, and, and just his menacing tone and everything, the way he handles himself, I think he fits the part perfectly. They got since they couldn't get Naveen Andrews again, the guy they got perfect for the part because they cast him so perfectly. I think he's coming back. It's like they put so much thought into who do we get for this because we're going to have him for several episodes. So we need someone who plays the part really, really well. And so that's why they cast someone that fits the part so well is because Mm -hmm. he'll be back. And I don't know the spoilers. You'll hear spoilers in just a little bit from Jacqueline and Hunter. 
but uh, and they they probably know exactly how many episodes Jafar will be in. But I think he is coming back. I think he's the Oracle right this now. This time with an Oracle staff. <laughs> and we will be back with our podcast on Sunday night when Once Upon a Time is back on TV. It airs at 8 slash 7 central. Please join us in the chat room during the live showing if you're in Eastern or Central time because you can chat with us during the live show and we'll be like, did you see that? Or we'll call certain things out. Just please don't spoil anything while you're watching it. But you can say something like, I think that's so-and-so or, hey, did you see that thing right there? It's really fun because if you don't have someone else to watch Once Upon a Time with, well, watch it with us. I wish we could do it in all of the time zones, but we can only do it in Eastern and Central. So, hey, we're covering at least two of them. So if you're in Eastern or Central when you're watching Once Upon a Time, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash live and you can chat with us there and hang out for our initial reactions, which is recorded about 15 minutes after the episode airs. Now, speaking of watching Once Upon a Time alone, I want to thank Harry Potter's Anna for this (laughs) kind review in iTunes from not the United States of America, from Sweden. Harry Potter's Anna said, I can't believe I didn't find this podcast until after season five. During the hiatus, I've listened to all episodes from number one, and I love it. Up here in northern Sweden, I don't know any oncers, and I've always felt a bit alone in my obsession, but now I feel like I have friends. You guys have given me the best laughs this summer. Thank you. I never thought I would feel this about a podcast again after the Harry Potter podcast, Pottercast. Now... I'm super excited to be able to experience season six with you guys. Love from Sweden. Thank you very much, Anna, for that kind review in iTunes. And yes, we saw it. Even though we're not in the United States, we saw it because I have a little tool that gets all of those podcast reviews. But thank you very much. We love stuff like this to know that we can be your family. We can be your friends to watch the show with you, to laugh, to cry, to moan, to groan, to ridicule. To, to have be moan. Yes. <laughs> we love being, we love this community. And I think that for many people, they watch the show because the podcast is still going. I wonder, like, like, what is that like to have us in your ears for such a large portion of a summer? That's a lot of listening. <laughs> I, I want to know, did you listen on normal speed? Did you speed it up? Still, that's a lot of thoughts. Do you know what I'm going to say next? Does it create that sort of a like a pattern recognition? Do you do you are you inside our heads now? You know, I I don't know the actual total, but just taking the number of episodes and knowing our average length of episodes, 264 episodes times let's say average length if you were to average it out, 1.75 episodes. That's 462 hours of listening. <laughs> and you still like us. You still like us. Wow. And you haven't even reached this point yet. So thank you very much for the kind podcast reviews. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast, sharing the podcast with others. And if you'd like the show notes to see the screenshots or to share this episode out, please go to oncepodcast.com slash 264. Please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Daniel J. Lewis. And I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P H L E G O N. This podcast would not be possible without our great team behind us. So, special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanis for editing our episodes, and happy birthday, John. A little belated, but happy birthday. Thank you very much for editing our episodes and making us sound fantastic. Happy birthday. 
Boys Day. Thanks to Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Thanks to Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums. Thanks to Keb for masterminding our timeline. And thanks from me to my co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting the podcast with me. And until next time, remember, I'm not the monster you need to worry about. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for making this episode of the podcast possible. If you would like to be that sweet flower hero to the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. You can contribute as little as a dollar per month and get access to our bloopers and some other fun things. Go over to oncepodcast.com slash hero and thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 605, Street Rats. In a flashback to Agrabah, Princess Jasmine recruits Aladdin to help her recover a secret weapon capable of breaking Jafar's hold on the Sultan and saving the city from ruin. Their quest takes them to the Cave of Wonders, where Aladdin's fate is revealed. In Storybrooke, the evil queen tricks Hook and the Charmings and forces Emma to reveal her secret in an effort to divide the family. While the evil queen pampers Zelina elsewhere in town, Regina and our heroes scramble to learn what has become of Aladdin. Written by Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz and directed by Norman Buckley. So this is the big week. We finally get the big Aladdin-Jasmine flashback that has been teased to us pretty much since the summer. Since Comic-Con, yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot of guest stars. We do. We have Raphael Sabarge back as Archie. Beverly Elliott is here as Granny. We also have Gabe Kuth as Sneezy the Dwarf. Of course, we have Oded Fair as Jafar, Dennis Akdenis as Aladdin, and Karen David as Jasmine. We are also getting Jordan Ashley Olsen back as the Oracle, Cedric D'Souza as the Sultan, and Kate Dion Richard as Goldilocks. That one just does not fit. It's just yeah. the funniest thing. <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yes. Now, a couple notes about the guest stars. Cedric D'Souza as the Sultan is a different actor from the Sultan we saw in Wonderland. And on Twitter, Adam did say that they were different Sultans at different times, but it's not different kingdoms. I'm not sure. He said it'll make sense when we see it. So keep that in mind. It's not the same Sultan as we saw in Wonderland. And then Goldilocks, we had pictures of this. Do you remember from back when they were filming this episode? Yes. And she's yes. wandering around with three men that we assume are the bears. And yes, yes. that'll be interesting. interesting. Let's go with interesting. Because <laughs> like you're supposed to be like all the other characters are going with the Aladdin story, which, yep. by the way, is different than the Aladdin story that we all know and love. Yes. From uh, the Disney movie. But Goldilocks just doesn't fit. Yeah, it's like, okay. First off, I want to know why Goldilocks... I'm assuming she came from the land of untold stories. Yes. So how did she end up there with three bears? Are they really bears who were made into humans? Are we going to learn any of that this week? No. No. 
<laughs> it'll just be like this is Goldilocks and her three bears, and we're all just gonna sit there. But the three bears, stunned. it should be a mama bear, baby bear, and a papa bear. So the guy, the reason that it's three guys is weird. Yeah, because one of them should be at least a woman. Gotta have mama bear. I know. I right? wonder if they'll be eating porridge. Yeah. That'd be a funny little joke. But I mean, did you ever did you weird. ever hear the funny thing? I know this is off topic, guys, but the reason why Mama Bear's porridge is cold? No, why? Because she's the one busy running around and getting everything done. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mama Bear. I know, right? Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> so we did get a promo. We did, and as you might imagine, it's full of nothing but Aladdin and Jasmine. It's a 30-second promo, like all of them normally are. Yeah. But we really didn't learn anything. No, it's supposed to be promoting the fact that Aladdin and Jasmine are finally going to be here together on your screen. We're finally going to get the episode. So you do see the scene. We keep on seeing of Aladdin and Jasmine. (laughs) I will say that Karen David, who plays Princess Jasmine, looks absolutely stunning. That blue outfit, like... It's amazing. It is. Major, major props to the costuming department because that outfit is gorgeous. Yes. We do see them outside of the Cave of Wonders. And I mean, it's full of just the cheesiest. <laughs> um, it, it, like, it makes me laugh in a good way, but it's so, it's, it's cheesy. Yes, it's very cheesy. Like Aladdin. Open sesame. Open sesame. I was like, okay, <laughs> tone it down just a bit. Yeah. And of course, we do see Jafar and he's got his serpent staff and it does look like he's putting Jasmine into the hourglass, which is something that's very iconic from the Disney film. But his magic seems really cool. I don't know. Like just watching it, like all the little bits you see, you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's Mm kind of cool. I have a feeling this episode is going to be good. I'm, I'm excited for these flashbacks. It's been a really long time since we had a brand new Disney princess, and I'm, I'm hoping they do Aladdin and Jasmine well because they are so beloved. And not just for one little episode. Right. So we got a ton of photos, too. Yeah, but of course they don't really show a lot. No, but there is something that in the photos that makes me laugh hysterically, and it might be the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Okay, which one was that? There are a couple individual shots of Jafar, and all the ones that are of the flashback are on green screen this week because, obviously, they didn't film much outdoors for Aladdin and Jasmine. But you do see Jafar with his serpent staff, and he's got the tiniest, cutest little parrot sitting on his shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's it's like a little baby Iago and it's so cute. <laughs> like it's not a villain. He's got this little baby parrot on him. Yeah, it's, it's really adorable, cute. guys. But yeah, there's a lot of green screen work with those two or with the Akrabah scenes. Yes. And I'm going to guess that was the Cave of Wonder that we saw a lot yeah, of Yeah, because there's a lot of sort of random objects scattered around the the scene and it made me think of the Cave of Wonders as well. We also got a lot of the Evil Queen and Zelina. And they're having tea. (laughs) They are. They're having tea. They're sitting there being proper having tea. I don't know why, but I do not picture them having tea. No. I was going to go with martinis. Yeah. They need to be like a speakeasy or something. Yeah. And then there are a few of Henry, Hook, Regina, and Emma. And I think they're in the caves under the town. That's what it looked like. Thinking that's probably where Aladdin is being held. Ooh, 
because they are trying to find him. Yeah. And uh, Emma looks distressed. Right. Um, it does look like Henry has to comfort her at some point. I'm guessing her magic doesn't work and everybody notices again because we do know that it's going to be revealed to the family what's going on with Emma this week. Right. And she has like a little heart to heart with Henry. Yeah. And that's all the photos we got. Mm-hmm. So like I said, there's actually like if you go through the photos, there's quite a few of them, but they don't really tell a lot. Yeah. Most of them are in the Cave of Wonders, so it's a big green screen. Um, Aladdin and Jasmine are obviously having some kind of conversation and trying to accomplish a task, but not a whole lot to be gleaned from the photos, except the no. very tiny parrot who's very, very cute. <laughs> but we did get a scriptease. We did. <laughs> um, do you, Who do you want to be? It doesn't matter to me. I'll uh, be Aladdin. Okay. I will be Princess Jasmine. Oh, boy. You'll learn all you need to once we reach the Cave of Wonders. Cave of Wonders? Dun, dun, dun. It's interesting that Jasmine is the one who knows about the Cave of Wonders and is taking Aladdin there. Yeah, because if you guys don't remember in the original, in the Disney movie, it was Jafar who wanted the lamp out of the Cave of Wonders. Mm -hmm. And he was the one making all these peasants... The diamonds in the rough. Yes. Go and try and get the, and then the cave would eat them all, except for Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Who dares disturb my slumber? <laughs> I love that movie. Me too. And we did get another episode title. Yes. Episode Ep- 610, Wish You Were Here, written by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. They seem to be writing a lot this season. It's going to be the winter finale. Okay. So... This is going to be the last episode we see in 2016. Still no idea when the show will return in the spring. There are some rumors going around that we actually are going to have a three-month hiatus. And so it's a split season in everything but narrative. So it'll still be one long story, but we're still going to get a really long break. But that's good because that the first half of the year, there's all those award shows and you're always missing stuff and the yeah. Super Bowl, like... There's a lot that goes on on Sunday nights. Yes. It's one of those times, like, in the TV world that they put shows that to go to die. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this show is surviving, but it's like Friday night and Sunday night are the times that are not the best. Yeah. Friday night especially is rough. <laughs> yeah. Because TGIF is not around anymore. Oh, TGIF. Yeah. <laughs> but if true, if we do get the three-month hiatus like we have had for the past several years – when we come back, it'll probably be 11 or 12 episodes in a row, probably with a two-hour finale like we've been doing. Yes. So we got a hot seat. <laughs> we we did. and We don't learn much. This one was full of can't say. It was maybe 85% can't say. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot to get here, but there are a few things we wanted to bring up. Yes, go ahead. So the question was asked, now that Hook is moving in, will we see any domestic moments with him and Emma? And Eddie said absolutely and added, it'll also be with Henry. Yep. Will Snow get an untold story? Adam Horowitz says, yeah, we're going to see a new chapter from her past. I thought we saw everything. And this sounds like around episode seven, we had those filming shots of Snow and Charming Charming much younger on his farm, Snow with kind of the princess white on, 
I don't know for sure, but it kind of feels like they're going to say that Snow and Charming met before the events of Snowfalls and somehow forgot. I don't like that. I'm really, <laughs> really against this. So I'm really hoping it's something different. Yes. So will we get to see young Charming this season? And Adam Horowitz says we get to see younger Charming. So yeah. that's probably the same thing. Is the evil queen still angry because of Daniel's death? Adam says yes. Although, you know, she hasn't brought it up. No, but you know that's why she was angry. Yeah, but I mean, you kind of would have expected that the evil queen would have used that as emotional manipulation against Regina by this point, saying, you know, how could you have moved on? How could you have, you know, quote, forgotten about Daniel? Obviously, Regina hasn't forgotten about Daniel, but that kind of feels like the perfect way to get under Regina's skin from the evil queen's perspective. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised she hasn't brought it up yet. I'm not going to go to this next one because we found out the answer to it last week. Yeah. Um, and then is there more than one key to the land of untold stories? Eddie Kitsis says yes. Will the maker be revealed? Adam Horowitz can't say. I feel like you can't introduce magical keys that can open doors to another world and not tell me who made the keys. <laughs> so The key maker made the keys. The key maker. Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> And then the final question on the hot seat was, are you writing this as the final season? And Eddie did say no. They have no intention of writing this as if it's the final season. And uh, ratings wise, I think we're getting a season seven. Okay. So. All right. Everything can still change. That's just going by numbers. So we did get a tiny bit more about Robin Hood and his appearance because they are pretty close to filming the winter finale and we still haven't actually seen Sean McGuire on set. And in an interview, Lana Perea did say that she, even she didn't know how they were bringing Robin Hood back. She's excited for it, but she didn't know. So I take that to mean that they haven't read the script or filmed the episode where Robin returns. So I'm betting it's the winter finale. Okay. But then like that'll be the last five seconds to probably. keep everyone to come back next, the other half of the season. Right. But Adam and Eddie did give some new details about his reappearance. Um, yes. It's definitely Which not confused flashback. a lot of people, just so you know. Right. Because the articles all said it was Hook. And I'm like, wait a minute, Hook is still there. So I think they just misplaced the K with the D. It's definitely not just him in flashbacks. They they are guaranteeing that. So it's not like when we've seen Graham or Neil or anybody else, Cora. It's really him. <laughs> it's, it's multiple episodes. It's not just in flashbacks, but it's not necessarily what you'd expect. How he integrates into the story, we want to keep a surprise and unexpected. It's an important part of the main story once it happens. And because they've already moved past that episode called I'll Be Your Mirror, I'm thinking that our mirror theory is actually wrong. Okay. A new one that I've read is that Regina might actually die because, of course, last week we learned that the only way the doppelganger can be killed is if you kill the original. And some people are speculating that Regina might actually face some sort of life-threatening situation where she goes to maybe the better place or some sort of limbo and she meets Robin and it's a matter of getting her back to life with his okay. help. So that that's kind of a, a theory that I'm hearing right now. Interesting. I don't know if they would kill her off though. She's such a main part of the story. Right. I don't think they will ever, ever kill her off for good. Um, I think Regina and Emma are two of the safest 
characters on the show. Yes. But we did get some casting news. We did. Will Travell has announced on Twitter he's returning. If you don't remember who he is, he was the sheriff of Nottingham. Mm -hmm. So it's probably going to be around the same time as we see Robin because you can't have a flashback of Robin without the sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, or however Robin's coming back. I assume that it, it kind of makes me wonder, actually, if we're going to see Maid Marian. Ooh. I haven't heard anything about that actress returning, but if the Sheriff of Nottingham is coming back and we know that Robin's coming back, it kind of makes sense that we might see Maid Marian. Maybe. We also. I want to see Little Roland, too. I know. I want to make sure he's surviving and out John. of the woods. Yeah, with Little John. Yeah. So we also know that Giles Matthew will be back around maybe episode 10 as Morpheus. Um, he took a, a photo of him, Rumple, and Belle on set the other day. It's really cute, actually. It's a really cute photo. If you guys aren't following him on Twitter, you should go check that photo out. It's, it's pretty cool. And then... Dun, dun, we have dun. some big casting news. Yeah. Do you want to tell this one? Pinocchio's coming back to Storybrooke. Yep. So Ian Bailey is set to come back as August. Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz promise that August's homecoming will be especially helpful to his BFF, Emma, who is currently battling with mental visions of her own demise. And then it's quoted saying, as a resident of Storybrooke and a close personal friend of Emma's, every now and then you need to call on Pinocchio to save the day. We don't know which episode he's going to be back for, but it will be at least one episode in the first half of season six. Um, yes. I, I'm i thinking that, I mean, they are so close to filming episode 10 that I think it's probably going to be the winter finale. Yeah, that would be a big pull. Because mm -hmm. everyone loved him. That's really all we have because they have been filming so much indoors that we don't even have really anything significant in the way of filming shots. No. This is maybe the first time in several, several years when I haven't known exactly how this season's going to end. <laughs> do you like that, though? I kind of do. It's kind of fun because we're like, we know everyone that's coming and you kind of know the plot lines and you're like... Well, I get to be surprised now. <laughs> right. I mean, for the past several years, I've known exactly how each arc is going to end, you know, where they're going next. And I'm just kind of like, I don't really know what's going to happen. So it's different and interesting this time for me. <laughs> yeah. But that's all we have for you this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. You can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Wenzers. 